Welcome to another episode of You Might Love This, the show and tell podcast all about the things we love and sharing them with other people. I don't know if that's the intro I did for the last one. I think it's similar. Though. We'll eventually get it. Yeah, well, it'll be the same next time, maybe. Or maybe not. several times from now. I'm Cassie. I'm Max. Um, and if you were a fan of our previous podcast... You're going to be super excited to hear who yeah. our guest is today. In fact, it was somebody who was originally on, well, we we recorded an episode with this person, uh, but then when we shifted gears, uh, we did so before we had a chance to publish theirs. So we're still working our way through uh, all our friends who have already sat down with us because we wanted to do our due diligence. And this is somebody who has some cred in the ghost hunting world. Uh, somebody who we were pointed to by a previous guest and somebody who uh, you may recognize from YouTube. Please welcome Mr. Kenny Biddle. Welcome, hey. Kenny. Hello. How are you guys? We are great. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. It's, I mean, it's Saturday, so and, and I've had a constant flow of rum all day, so I'm good. That's excellent. It is. It is. <laughs> I, I recommend it for everyone. Well, I'm so happy that you that you decided to come back on with us because we wanted to have this conversation with you. Uh, you're such a fascinating uh, <laughs> a person with such a great body of work. And if people aren't familiar with you, wh wh how would you how would you describe what you do, Kenny? I investigate paranormal claims from a skeptical and scientific point of view. I mean, that basically sums it up. Uh, I'm usually the token skeptic at uh, paranormal events. I, I attend a lot of conferences. I go to events. I sign up for public ghost hunts and do all this kind of stuff. But I also take on uh, the, the ghost hunting gadgets. I, I basically deconstruct them and figure out exactly what they do, what they don't do. I look at uh, TV shows and review them. Um, not just I, I just like I'm not a big fan of, of paranormal shows, so I try to stay neutral when I'm watching them. But mm -hmm. I usually review them and point out the flaws and how to improve them. Uh, I look at ghost hunting methods and not just ghost hunting. It, it's mostly it, it's also Bigfoot and UFOs. I dabble in those uh, yes. genres a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> just a little bit, you know, here and there. But I, I do try to tackle things that especially when they come into mainstream news, when they hit like all the news feeds and you see them on your local television station uh, and they're in the popular um, interest, you know, people are seeing it a lot. So I try to look at those take a closer look and give you a more detailed look, a more more deep dive, if you will, into the story and give you m more of the facts rather than the sensationalized uh, version that you see on TV. Awesome. Well, can you uh, give us a breakdown of what was your inspiration to get to the point where you're at today? What was the process of you getting to what you're doing now? Wow. That's uh, it, it, it's kind of seems like a long story, but it's really not. Uh, I've, always had an, <laughs> I, I've always had an interest. Well, you know what? When I'm done the story, then you can tell me if it was too long. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> basically, I, I grew up uh, like a lot of people interested in the paranormal. I, I just loved it. I loved ghost stories. I thought it was mm -hmm. amazing. I loved stories about alien abductions, except for the, you know, the yes. butt probe things. I didn't like that part. No, um, that's not cool. No, no, not cool at all. Don't like it. Don't nope. not going to volunteer for that. Um, no. And I loved like Bigfoot, monsters, Loch Ness, the Yeti. All all of this just fascinated me growing yeah. up. So when when I was growing up, there was no internet. I was pre-internet uh, child. So 
when I got married, that's when the internet really exploded. People could get these really horrible computers by today's standards and we could get online and look stuff up. Mm -hmm. So ghost hunting was basically the easiest thing to get into because there was just haunted places all over the place. You could just, you could throw a stone and hit a haunted house. So that's what I went into, joined a a ghost hunting group, uh, went with them for a little bit, eventually formed my own group. And then I stumbled along skeptics uh, because I had that, that I guess inherited uh, uh, bias against skeptics because skeptics were evil you know mm-hmm. like they were they they didn't believe in ghosts they they think we're crazy but we mm-hmm. know better <laughs> that was my mentality then but i i actually came across people like ben rafford um editor of a skeptical inquirer and joe nickel and a, a few other people um sharon hill uh reading their work i i realized like there was so much more involved with this they really they, they researched the shit out of this and, just went, <laughs> <laughs> and and I was just I was amazed at what they were doing. So naturally, it just it, it piqued my curiosity. I wanted to do what they were doing and to really understand what I was doing, because when I really looked at myself, when, when I looked into that mirror, I realized I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I was doing science. I was not. I thought I knew what, you know, how to analyze photographs and videos. I did not. Mm-hmm. And. and I, I just, it, it just hit you. It, well, it hit me that I was just clueless. Mm-hmm. So I, I started researching more. I did get in contact with Ben Rafford and he, he gave me some criticism. I mean, and some people would say it was, was harsh, but he didn't come across as a mean person. He mm-hmm. really took the time to talk to me and answer my questions. And that was my gateway over to more uh, of a skeptical attitude. Uh, I, I just, learned more. I, I also had a love of photography. So I actually started studying photography, learning more, um, understanding how the camera works. And once I got past that, I guess, um, wall of ignorant ignorance, it was like, holy, there is so much more here that I didn't understand before. Now I'm looking back at p- pictures and videos that I said were ghosts. And now I know what they really are. Mm-hmm. They're tricks of light. You know, they're, they're camera flaws. They're me capturing my reflection in something it, it was ridiculous uh and that that really launched like a, a thirst for knowledge that i have not been able to quench to this day um i just love to learn i constantly read um these ancient tomes called books i don't know if the kids know what they are <laughs> we're fans um, of books ourselves yeah. I, I, I to. love books i have i i oh think i think last count i had like 2000 books in my just home library that's wow. awesome and I, I, I full disclosure I haven't read them all yeah <laughs> I like, mean same yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I can say that I've read at least a paragraph or two in every single book okay because I usually buy books because they have information that I need I don't need mm-hmm. the whole book but I need like certain paragraphs I need something that I can reference I have this very uh, uh what is it uh, compulsive disorder um, self-diagnosed, of course, but if I read a citation in a paper and it would help me, it would benefit in something that I'm working on. I will. I have to buy the book. Mm-hmm. I have to because I have to see it. I have to see the passage for myself, especially if they're if somebody quotes it and you see mm-hmm. the little dot 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 before mm-hmm. and after yeah. the quotes. What I they need, leave out? Yes, I need the full context, so mm-hmm. I I buy the book 
So now that's why. I, I can imagine that this probably has a sort of like exploding effect where you'll you'll see that citation and go, oh, I need to get that book. And then inside that book, there will be a citation. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, I need to get that book. feedback loop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that has happened. <laughs> I can totally <laughs> confirm that where where it's like, well, I did. um, uh, Well, ironically, I did a, a investigation on um, a, a book that was most of it was plagiarized. And it has to do with somebody that we all know and love. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Yes. So yep. that there were no references in that book. No citations whatsoever. Wait, there was no reference list? Nope. No. Are you serious? I am dead serious. Oh, my no God. References. And, and uh, that book was what really keyed me into the plagiarism was that I started reading a chapter on photography and realized that I had read this before. Uh-huh. And knew that I, I, I immediately walked up to my office, right to the shelf. I knew exactly what book it was. Pulled <laughs> out Joe's Nickel, Joe Nichols' book on photography, and opened it up to the first chapter and realized that um, our, our, can I say his name? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, uh, Mr. Baggins, his his book for dummies, his ghost hunting book for dummies. The entire chapter, the first chapter in Joe Nichols' book was taken word for word and put into Zach's book. That's insane. And it just, it blew my mind. Like how ballsy can you be to, to do this? Um, Mm -hmm. Wow. So that, that led to this, this uh, loop, this book buying loop that you mentioned, because I, I I knew that there were other books plagiarized and I would buy those books and they were referencing other books. And I was like, Oh wow. You know, that would help me with this other article I'm writing. So I'd buy that. And then yes, I think I was like four or five books in this loop <laughs> before I was like, I have to stop. This is an addiction. I have to stop. Well, but that's, I mean, that's a, that is kind of how researchers work is when you're reading like journal articles, there will be references to other right you know, researchers, and then you need to look at their work and then they'll have references to other, you know, researchers. It's just, um, I mean, in a way it's kind of, it's kind of in its own way, a form of peer review in that you're gathering Mm -hmm. evidence that is, uh, has been looked at by many, many people. Right. You're checking the, the information that you're reading and Mm -hmm. that's what I do. I constantly do it. I, cause uh, it might sound mean, but I do not trust anyone. Like, when it, <laughs> well, hey, period. You know, there's something to be said about like having that impulse to verify everything. You know, yeah. to yeah. to know that what you're looking at is the truth. You have to, you have to search for it. You can't just yes. sort of accept what's there. My my uh, petrology professor from years ago, who will not be named, because he did have <laughs> not so great qualities too, but. Uh, Whenever somebody would make a claim, he would say, what's your evidence? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I mean, I feel like any claim you make has to be supported by evidence. Yep. It, it, it does. It has to be supported by something. And mm-hmm. I, I just want to clarify that. I mean, it's not when I say I don't trust anyone. It's not in a bad way. It's it's more or less that like I with the paranormal community across the board, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of people that I do work with and I'm on great terms with. But even when they tell me stuff, even if my own mother told me a story, <laughs> I would still have to verify it because it's, we make mistakes. 
Yeah. We yeah. our perception, how we how we view things, we we view things through filters and biases so easily. And mm-hmm. it's easy for us to fill in the gaps when we don't have a memory of something that I don't trust everybody what they're saying. So I have to verify it. And, yeah. and I mean, I've been burned a few times where I've trusted somebody what they've said and it turned out to be false. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I look bad. Um and, and, and I, that's why I just continually do it. If you say that you, you know, you were in this haunted house and this door slammed and, you know, I suggest maybe it's it's air pressure from outside because maybe an open window and mm-hmm. the person tells me, well, no, none of the windows were open. Well, you better believe the first thing I'm going to do is go visit that location. Check. <laughs> check for yourself. See if the windows are in fact open. Yes. And that's, that's actually based on a real event that really did happen. Wow. And I was told specifically that all the windows were replaced. They were sealed up. The doors were closed. There's no way any air could get in. And I walked in and on the second floor, there was a window that I could stand on the windowsill and it was still about two feet taller than I was. Completely broken out, trash bag covering it, air coming in everywhere. So yeah. I was like, there's your there's your cause. So that's just a real world case where like, if I trusted that person, I, I would have looked, I would have wrote, wrote the wrong thing or said the wrong thing and I would have looked stupid. So in addition to having, you know, a, a library of books in your home, something that I've noticed while watching some of your videos is the like uh, library of of technological equipment, <laughs> some of it for ghost hunting, some of it for not. How how much how would you characterize your collection of uh, paranormal research equipment and like how you came by all of that? And what you did uh, with it. <laughs> it's It's basically I have a chest of junk. Um, that's, that's really what it is. Uh, most of it though is donated. I I don't buy a lot of it. Some of it I bought when I was still a ghost hunter. So like some of the cameras, some of the audio recorders, uh, a K2 meter, uh, another EMF meter called a Dr. Gauze uh, meter, which was pretty big back in the nineties. I mean, it was a cheap meter you could buy, Mm -hmm. but otherwise it's, it's usually, I usually get things donated and it's from, Yeah, I mean, it's really, really, I I get humbled every time that I talk to like a group of ghost hunters that we really connect, you know, we really Mm -hmm. talk because they ask questions and I love Q&A. So we talk about things and I offer explanations and then they ask me about gadgets and we have big talks about them. And then it ends up like maybe a week or two later or even a couple months later, they will contact me and say, hey, you know what? I, I thought about what you said. This device that I've been using, I tried some of your, you know, experiments or controls against the experiments and you were right. It doesn't do anything um, and it's really easy to manipulate. I, I really don't want this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want this? Wow. And it, I, I was like, I'm, I'm always like, wow, that's that's really cool because some of this stuff, yeah. honestly, I mean, although many of the things, many of the gadgets you can actually build yourself for like 20 bucks, the stuff that they buy from ghost hunting stores are usually like a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars, and they're they're just giving it to me, which is really that's nice. amazing. Yeah. They could so easily try and resell it oh, for, for sure. around the same price, yes. yeah. but I'm sure they wouldn't feel so good about that. And and that's that's it. I mean, that's part of the response that I get is that they don't want to resell it to somebody because they feel they would be deceptive. Yeah. They would be deceiving somebody else. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I totally agree with them. So I get it and I mean, I can do whatever I want to it. So I usually, <laughs> uh, I open it up, you know, to see what's inside. Sometimes they're sealed. So 
I get the hacksaw out. Wow. <laughs> you're not going to stop me from getting inside. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. No. Um, but I, I do open it up one way or another and see what's inside and uh, usually figure out it's, it's very cheap components. A lot of the stuff nowadays is 3D printed. And it's, it's really? cheaply made. I mean, really cheaply. I, I got a device. It's like a static electricity uh, detector. Uh-huh. It, it, it looks like a steampunk kind of uh, theme to it. It's got like a, it just looks like a steampunk thing. But when I picked it up out of the box, my thumb went through the casing. Oh my. And it's not because it was beat up. It's because it was done so cheaply and so thin that just picking it up, yeah, my thumb went right through the casing. I was wow. like, wow. And and online, I think it was like a hundred hundred and sixty dollars or something like that. Somebody paid for it. But, have I mean, you have you ever um dissected anything created by the build chapel? From digital dowsing. <laughs> well, I've um I've done a let's see, I've done an article, investigative article on the Connect. Um and how that's used as a SLS camera. Um, and then I also have, I have one of his Ovilus. I actually had two. I took one apart, like mm-hmm. completely apart. And the other one I still have. And I, I have taken that apart and, and I took pictures of the inside and sent it to a computer engineer that I know that looks at this stuff. And he usually takes all the data off of it and lets me know how it works. Um, oh, so cool. I have a little bit of experience with that, with his kind of stuff. Yeah. Have you ever come across like a piece of ghost hunting technology that you were like surprised by how it worked and kind of like um, intrigued actually? Not not because it was something that could legitimately be used to detect the presence of spirits, but maybe because it did something you didn't expect it to or because it had some kind of functionality that was not advertised? There was, let's see, there, there's most of the gadgets, I'm sad to say, are the same thing like oh no <laughs> i mean you, you can have like 200 different gadgets and i guarantee you there's really only 10 it's just different shells that, oh. that's okay. it. so there's the there was one piece of gadget and i don't remember the name of it because it was i saw it for about an hour i got to play with it and it's one of those it almost looked like a toy where i i believe it had some kind of um i don't want to say motion sensor but it had a, some kind of grid that it put out and it could see shapes and mm-hmm. it would display hmm. it on this. Um, it was like a 20 by 20 grid of lights. So if you waved your hand in front of it, you could see the shape of your hand. It was almost like, you know, that hmm. old school pin toy. Yes. Oh yeah. That yeah, you would press, press your face to and, and make all kinds of shit. It, it was kind of like that, but a digital led kind of version of it. Interesting. And it was really cool. I played with it like for an hour. I was like, this is really neat. (laughs) I want to open it up. But unfortunately, it was part of a, it was in a store and they wouldn't let me open it. Um, Dang. buying it. (laughs) But uh, I mean, that was really cool. I wasn't sure how it worked because I never came across something like that before. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I was really curious. But again, those devices, it was, I think it was upper up around like $150. And Oof. I mean, I get the, like, I get paid for some of the, the writing that I do, but that money goes directly back into the writing projects. So it, it recycles back in so that I can keep writing. Sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm not, not willing not to so spend, you can keep buying expensive. Right. Ghost hunting <laughs> yeah. You know, like I can spend like 20 bucks here and there for, for a gadget or even save up for a little bit and, and buy a gadget like a hundred and, 
and some dollars. But yeah, when most of them are over a hundred bucks, that's a lot of money for something yeah. that yeah. is eventually going to get destroyed within like two or three days. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and duct taping it together doesn't doesn't make up for the hundred dollars that I lost. Uh, do you ever do you have like a favorite investigation you've done? Something that was like um, just really sticks out in your memory as like a, something you looked into that kind of took you down a rabbit hole, or or that ended up giving you a lot of content to talk about or write about? The wow, I mean, there's been a few. Uh, the the connect uh, gadget that I investigated that was really intriguing because I, I, I learned a lot about how it worked, how it mm-hmm. operated, and and how it was being misused. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many other things. One of the the big ones that I done that took me a couple months to thoroughly research was the Conjuring House history. Mm. Uh, so that was that came up because uh, last year, or last year or this year, I think at the beginning of this year or or the end of last year, it changed hands so that the house in Harrisville, um, which is known as the Conjuring House, uh, was sold and new owners took it over. And as soon as they took over it became like ghost hunting central, you know, uh, Zach Baggins was there. I think there was two other shows that filmed there. It's open every weekend for ghost hunts now. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So I I really wanted to look into it because um, one of the parent families, the original family that was there that, that started this story um, started the whole haunting thing. Andrea Perrin had written three books. It was a series and she put it out there, I think, in 2011. Mm-hmm. And she was making the rounds on the conference circuit and promoting a lot of it. And people were, you know, really excited about it. And I was approached by two friends of mine that had done historical research on it. And what really sparked me was that one of the the, the women that, that did this research, she had printed out an entire, like, a book chapter where she had researched all the history, had documents, everything and sent it to the new owners of the Conjuring House and said, you know, just in case you wanted to know, so you understand the actual history and not what's being presented on TV because what they're doing is wrong and I have the proof. Um, So the owners have a friend that stays with them that's a like a big time ghost hunter. This friend wrote basically, um, I'll keep it a little clean, but basically wrote F.U., across the front page, took a picture of it and sent it to her. What and the I was, heck? That's rather intense. I don't, yeah, I don't get, I don't understand that. Like she's trying to help you understand the history of this house that you're living in now. So why would you, why was would you it less, that? was it less sensational or? I, you know? I don't know. I, I honestly, I think it's a money making, money yeah. making project. And yeah, knowing the real history would spoil it. I mean, so, if you're opening the place up for ghost tours on the weekends, then it's I become mean, a business. You've, you've turned it into a haunted attraction, right. really. Yeah. So I really wanted to delve into the history and verify it myself because, as, as I said, I don't trust anyone. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. And I wanted to see all the documents myself. So not only did I start researching it, but I drove up there and met with uh, Norma, um, who was the previous owner of the house. Mm hmm. I met with her and an, a gentleman, uh, Kent Spotswood, who was a he was a retired journalist that unfortunately passed away earlier this year. Um, but I got to meet him and we spent the day not only researching in the, the library up there and finding all the documents that prove most of the I think there's like five or six 
mysterious, and I'm using air quotes here, mysterious deaths that happened <laughs> in the house actually didn't happen in the house. They wow. happened oh. somewhere else in the town or not even in the town. They happened like 20 miles away. Okay. So, wow. Got all the information. We actually, And then we spent the day walking around and finding uh, cemeteries that were pretty much lost. Like wow. buried back behind properties that you can't reach anymore unless you ask permission to walk on to someone's property. Uh, but Whoa. we were able to go back there and actually uncover some headstones, um, lift them back into place because they had fallen, which was um, wow. that was cool for me. And That's it, it, so neat and so neat that you got to have that that like personal contact with these yes. people and, and it was actually like, like a field experience. Actually, go there. Yeah. I love that. I, and I actually, I had reached out to the new owners to see if I could get, you know, because I want to get their side of the story too. I didn't want yeah. to just print something that was one-sided. Um, right. It wasn't one-sided. I mean, it, it had several sides to it because I was consulting several people that had research, including the historical society up there. Um, but they they didn't respond back, which is their uh-huh. choice, you know, that they, they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um I'm still looking to go up there. I would still like to go up, but that that case alone took me months to delve into and find all the the information about it and, and mm-hmm. uncover the records. And it was just I love that. I love the thrill of the chase. I love finding these people um, in history, you mm-hmm. know, because you get to look at what these people did and how they lived and who they interacted with, who they married, their kids the tragedies that they they lived through um, yeah. or, or didn't live through uh, because a lot of them died. Uh, but mm. it's just fascinating to me. And, and that's just one of them. There's there's a bunch of cases that I've done like that that just stand out. Um, oh, my gosh. The Bella Lugosi mirror that's in oh, uh, yeah. Mr. Baggins' uh, museum. That was Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I love to talk. <laughs> so I will talk. Um, <laughs> But that that was that was an interesting story because I had taken the tour. I went out to Vegas for a science conference, and one of the things we did, my wife and I joined um, Susan Gerbic and Mark Edward, which is Susan's like huge skeptical activism. She does like the gorilla skepticism on Wikipedia, and then Mark Edward is a um, professional mentalist. So, wow! Oh, I love Mark. Mark and I get along great. But we went to the museum to see what's going on and, and, you know, see what he had to offer. And one of the items was this mirror that allegedly belonged to the famous Dracula actor, Bella Lugosi. Mm -hmm. And the story that we got from the guide was that Bella Lugosi was into the occult and that he practiced scrying. And uh, what that is, is staring into reflective surfaces and you get like messages from the beyond and spirits and all that kind of stuff. Um, And his purpose in doing this was to contact his dead wife. And that's what the guy told us. So that kind of that got me curious. I wanted to know, like, what did his wife die of? What? Why was he trying to contact her? Mm -hmm. So when I got outside, I I looked it up and realized that uh, Bella Lugosi was married five times. Wow. He died before any of his wives died. Oh, wow. So that was a big hole in the story. That yeah. seems to like a hole. Least, yeah. <laughs> big hole in the story. So uh, I started diving into that and eventually got in touch with the um, the woman that donated the mirror and found out that 
her uncle was, lived in a house that allegedly belonged to Bella Lugosi. Uh-huh. And he was a, this uncle was a big um, horror movie fan. He made spoof movies. Um, the only one that I know actually got made because he wrote a lot of like uh, uh, spoof scripts. So like the, the making fun of kind of horror movies, but paying homage to them too. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a movie called Blackenstein, which <gasps> I love. I, yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I'm like, let me see. Cause it sounds like a campy movie. Let me see what it, it, it was. I loved it. it is it, great. is it along the same lines as Blackula? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I have if, never heard of this. That is so fun. <laughs> oh my goodness. Good. If you get a chance, find it. Okay. And, and watch it. It's, it's entertaining. If you like B movie, kind of uh, like oh, real budget kind of stuff. Ma- Max just looks up the the cover. This looks oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yes. So uh, he was a big, big into that. I think the guy was, and I don't remember his name right now because I, I, it's been a while since I wrote it up, but he was a lawyer and he turned into a filmmaker. And unfortunately, this uncle was murdered in the house, uh, like gangster style. They, oh, no. they found his body, unfortunately, like tied up and he was shot in the back of the head. Oh, no. Um, he had all kinds of other wounds that really pointed to a mob hit. And uh, so that was part of this story that I got in Zach Baggins uh, museum that, mm-hmm. you know, the uncle had the mirror and the mirror was in the room where he was murdered in the house that used to belong to Bella Lugosi. OK, so the so mirror that, has seen death. Yes, it okay. has seen death. It was part of scrying, you know, contacting the dead and stuff like that. So when I searched the records and I contacted the the niece who owned the mirror, who had actually inherited the mirror and then donated it to uh, Zach, I found out that Bella Lugosi never owned that house. <laughs> um, so that was a big surprise. Um, uh-huh. he, he never owned it. And that what actually happened was that um, this uncle had purchased the house after it had been empty for about a decade. And when he got in there, there was some leftover furniture in one of the rooms. And this mirror just happened to be it. And there was also a scrapbook of clip newspaper clippings of Bella Lugosi's career. Ah, okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm the, the conclusion is based on the evidence that we gathered was that whoever had lived in the house was just a fan Okay. Oh my gosh. That, that's it. It was a fan. And then the rest of the stuff, like the mirror, they didn't want anymore <laughs> when they, when they left the house. So, okay. uh, the story kind of, it, it became like a family story. So it wasn't, I, I want to make it clear that it wasn't any kind of deception on, on this family's part. You, you know, was, who hasn't embellished at a garage yes. sale? I know. I, I, I hear it all the time. I love garage sales. I go every weekend. And I hear stories. I, and I'm like, whatever. Okay. Just, you know, here's a dollar. Give me the toy. <laughs> but uh, it was an interesting story. And the, the the niece that had donated the mirror, we became good friends. And I, I've cool. spoken with her a few times on the phone, which is really, really cool. Uh, um, and she was very nice. And the best compliment I got was that I took the time to research and present the 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 data, the, the evidence in a polite way. I wasn't mean. I didn't mm-hmm. like curse her out or tell her she was stupid because she wasn't. It was a family story, you know, that you, you don't have any reason to doubt family stories. Mm-hmm. You know, no. you well, just they start them. to become folklore. Yes. So 
a very great conversation. I still talk to her today, um, but the mirror is definitely did not belong to Bella. Oh, I also talked to Bella Lugosi's granddaughter. Oh, whoa. Wow. Wow. That's a big part of the story. I, t- I totally forgot. Um, but yeah, I, I got in touch with the family because uh, there's a, a Bella Lugosi legacy website, which is run by his granddaughter and his son. Wow. So I, I, I got in touch with her and we went back and forth and she's like, nope, nope. There is no record. <laughs> we have no idea what that mirror is. It, her grandfather never practiced any kind of occult magic or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. And when I gave her the story that was being told, she was really pissed off about it. Um, I can imagine. Yes, exactly. So one of these times when I'm out in California again, because that's where they live, I'm going to uh-huh. try and meet up with her and, and talk to her more. But yeah, I, I, de- I got confirmation from the actual family that no Bella Lugosi did not own that mirror. No, he did not practice any kind of magic. And no, he did not live in that house where it was found. So Interesting. That's, that's pretty thorough work. So, and you said to us that going through the Zach Baggins Haunted Museum was kind of like going through an amusement park attraction rather than a museum. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you were kind of rushed through everything and didn't have time to uh, yeah. read the it, details. It was, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely the kind of person... If you haven't realized it yet, I love to learn. I love to read. And if you stick something in front of me that has words on it, I'm going to read it. That's mm-hmm. just what I do. And this is, it's advertised as a museum. So right. when I go in, I want to read about every object that's in there. And we were rushed. I mean, it's definitely on a time constraint. Mm-hmm. The, the It's all scripted, which most of these are guided tours are, but it's timed. And you had, I think we had, I think I counted eight different guides. So wow. you basically start with one and then you get passed off and passed off every couple of rooms. You get passed off to another That's so guide. strange. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were rushed. And every time I, I would lag behind because I wanted to read what was going on or take a closer look. Like I was really trying to see like under the glass on some of the things or get a different angle. And mm-hmm. yes, the, the guide was outside the door like giving me that dirty look, like, let's go, let's move it, you know? And, and I understand why later, I mean, I don't mm. want to get into that kind of detail, but, um, but yeah, that was very rushed. And then it wasn't all air quote haunted stuff. Um, yeah. he had an entire hallway that was nothing but clowns. It was <laughs> with clown suits and makeup. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I don't it's get a- it. It must be, they should change the name of the place from Haunted Muse- Zach Bagans Haunted Museum to Zach Bagans Haunted Museum and Spooky Things. Museum, of, to Zach Bagans. <laughs> Museum of my personal fears. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely not what I expected. Uh, and I mean, if, if that's, I don't want to just knock them just for, for trying to entertain people, you know, because that's what people go there for. They're, they're trying to mm-hmm. get entertained. But I was expecting more of, you know, Show me the objects. Why are they haunted? Yeah. What's the story behind them? Yeah. Give me the story. That's what I want to know. And and let me look at it for a little bit. Well, if you think about it, when you go to any other museum, like a natural history museum, there are signs for everything. Sure. Yeah. With full descriptions to educate you. Because museums are pretty much about education, about whatever the theme is. Yes. And so if they're not letting you do that, and also, a lot of museums, if you do have a guide, the guide, stay, the guide stays with you 
throughout the full, you know, exhibit. Yeah, right. It's just very they, strange to hear they, the way yeah. that they're doing it at Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum. And they had like a, there was a, a, a little person there for jump scares. Are you oh, serious? No. We walked into one of the rooms. It was like a secret door and they, it was a wall and they moved the wall and you go into this room that had this big, actually like really cool looking table with these big like throne looking chairs. But as soon as I walked in, I, I caught movement on the side and I looked over and there's this guy hiding in this little tiny alcove waiting for people to come in. And as soon as I passed by, he jumped out. Boo! Orah! And like jump scares. I'm like, this is this is cheap. Oh this is very hokey, yes. I paid $44 to come in here. I don't want this. I don't want this. And I realized right there, that was my missed opportunity to meet Zach. Uh, because <gasps> we, we walked in. My wife was a couple people behind us. And then she came up and I'm looking at the display case. She came up to me right after the little guy jumped out. And she's like, hey, hey. Did you see him? Did you see him? Oh, my God. And I'm thinking she's talking about the little guy. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I saw him. I know he's there. I, I saw him. I'm, I'm pretty pissed about it. And she's like, no, no. And she's trying to talk to me and I'm reading something and I'm not paying attention to her, which was my mistake. Because mm -hmm. I found out later that Zach had come out of his little secret room and it was standing in the corner. Watching oh, my everybody. goodness. And there was like two people that noticed him and walked over and, you know, talked to him. But. I was I was too busy, so I I missed my opportunity to ships in the that. night. Dang it! Yeah, yeah. Ugh. And now you can't go, right? Yes, yes, because I am officially banned from his museum. <laughs> Badge uh, of honor. I, I yes, absolutely. I wear it proud. I have a T-shirt I made. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Can you tell us uh, the specifics about why you were banned from the Zach Bagans Haunted Museum? Um, well, yeah, it's it's I can't get into too much detail because it might get people in trouble. But okay. basically, um, there were some employees or former employees that mm -hmm. saw some of the articles that I had written and on, on Facebook and clicked like. So that's that's what they did. They clicked like on an article that was mm -hmm. basically like the Bella Lugosi mirror was the one that did it. Uh, and they were contacted the next day and fired. Um, oh, my God. So. Boy. And, and then I might have spoken with a few of them and was oh. informed that, yes, I am officially banned. And I apparently I have a picture up in the lobby. Oh, <laughs> oh my, my God. So, <laughs> don't let this guy in. <laughs> I mean, if anything, I want to get there just to get a picture of that. Yeah. yeah get Take a picture. your own photo next yep. to it. Yeah, yeah. A selfie next to your picture. <laughs> I want to walk in and be like, hey, you want me to autograph that? <laughs> yeah, I can do it. <laughs> So yeah. that's amazing. But you know what? This is a this is the 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 part of the job. Um, sure. Because you you when you I'm not a journalist. I'm not officially a journalist, but I do investigative reporting, and mm -hmm. you have to dig. You have to dig it. You're basically a stalker. That's mm -hmm. what I do. Um, and it, I know it sounds stalker weird, for truth, <laughs> but it, that's the truth. You're a stalker because you have to investigate these people's lives and what they're doing mm -hmm. and how they're doing it. And when you start digging and you uncover that, okay, they did stuff wrong or, or they weren't, sometimes they're not entirely honest or sometimes they are unaware of the truth. Mm -hmm. um, they've put something out that's their own truth. And when you yeah. expose that, it's, it's, it generates those hateful, angry feelings. Yeah, so sure. I understand well, you become it. a threat. Yes. I'm a threat. I just made them, un I didn't mean to, but I mm -hmm. made them look stupid. 
Yeah. And, and I, I sometimes I feel bad, but it's not my fault. You know, if they would have done the work they should have done. Well, and if it's if it's taking advantage of other people by deception, yes. then that really does deserve to be exposed. I agree. So, oh, yeah, I guess speaking of, you know, people feeling threatened with uh, skepticism, what was the emotional process for you going from an avid ghost hunter to a skeptic? What were the emotional ups and downs that you felt um, like what was driving you before and then what was driving you after? Did you feel any like kind of sadness in losing a belief in something? So, I mean, it, there there's a range of emotions because I, I always try to to cover belief. And, and what I say about belief is that it's a very powerful force. Mm-hmm. Because most of these, most beliefs people have, they have from a very young age. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're nurtured. They are they are pretty much brainwashed into us. Um, to to say it bluntly, uh, when you have certain religious beliefs or any kind of beliefs, you usually get it from your parents at first, or and your family, your friends by extension, uh, and, and they are your core beliefs, and they're very very hard to change. I don't like beliefs. I don't hold beliefs on my own. I like to have ideas because for me, I feel that ideas are easier to change when you Mm -hmm. have new information. So when I was a ghost hunter, I was, I had those beliefs. I believed completely that ghosts exist, um, that the Loch Ness was real, that Bigfoot was out there waiting for me to get a picture of him, Um, Mm -hmm. that, that every night I was waiting for that light to shine through my window and take me up to the mothership, oh God. <laughs> you know, because I was convinced by all the movies that I was a child of the stars. I didn't belong here. <laughs> you know, take me home. Yeah. Um, so I had all those beliefs and I, I, I guess I had this false sense of, of authority because mm-hmm. I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew the equipment that if I waved this piece of uh, this gadget around and it lit up, that was mm-hmm. a ghost. And you can't tell me anything else. Mm-hmm. When I finally got around to realizing that I was wrong, there was, uh, you could probably say, some depression. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. anger mm-hmm. Yeah. at myself because I, I did a lot of bad things. I, I, it's hard to express exactly how I was feeling, but I guess it was more, I was mad because I was wrong. I don't like being wrong. I like being mm-hmm. right. I mean, who doesn't? But... <laughs> I was being wrong and passing that off to other people. Oh, yeah. I was making it worse. And and even worse than that was that I was going into private homes and telling people that lived there, yes, you have a ghost. Mm-hmm. And then leaving, you know, thinking, oh, this is how it's done. I go in for four or five hours. You know, I, I collect these, these dust orbs or, you know, whispers that was probably my stomach. And mm-hmm. I told these people they have ghosts in their house. And then I left, mm-hmm. you know, and left them to deal with it, deal with that idea, deal with that belief that, you know, they're living in a house with, you know, ghosts that can watch them take a shower or, mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when, <laughs> you know, anything or could, or poop. Could confirm them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's what I think about. <laughs> like who's watching me poop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that that really angered me, and I was I wasn't mad at any anyone else but myself because mm-hmm. I realized that I, I I was doing stuff wrong. I wasn't doing the the work I should have done. I wasn't researching like I should have done. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't verifying. I was just taking things at face value and I was regurgitating them to mm-hmm. other people. And so that that is why I think I was angry in the beginning. And I was looking I was looking for a fight. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to take it out on other people because unfortunately, that's what humans do. You know, when they feel <laughs> yeah. about themselves, they yeah. want other people to feel <laughs> too. Yeah. And, and that makes you feel a little bit better for some reason. And and that in itself was wrong too. Mm-hmm. So I finally realized through through guidance um, from, from friends of mine, uh, the people that I mentioned before, Ben Rafford, Sharon Hill, um, uh, uh, Joe Nickel, uh, just realizing like, okay, people are not stupid. Sometimes they just don't know. And mm-hmm. sometimes they don't want to know, but never treat people like they're stupid. Don't yeah. do that. Um, don't be confrontational unless I mean sometimes you do have to be confrontational I mean sometimes you gotta be but do it politely be mm-hmm. nice and I always refer to to Roadhouse Patrick Swayze his speech be nice <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee look it up on YouTube you'll see the whole clip just watch it and and apply it to your lives you know not just with you know confronting ghost hunters or anything else anyone that you have confrontation with be nice be nice because that's the way you're going to get across that's a good motto to live by. good motto that's that's i mean i've realized over the years that if you're confrontational if you're aggressive it's not going to work you're going to get that backfire effect from people where they're Mm going to stand their ground they're going to dig in and no matter what you say no matter how much evidence you have doesn't matter they're not going to believe you because you're being a (laughs) right yeah i hope this this is a split show because i've been cursing a lot i'm sorry well we can fix we can fix that no big deal um we're we are reaching the end of our time but i do have one last question that i wanted to ask you and it's a a little bit of a more fun one uh and if the answer is no just feel free to to totally shoot it down but okay Okay. Uh, (laughs) have you ever heard a ghost story or a story of like a cryptid or an alien that you wish was true wow hmm i Honestly, I would, I really wish Bigfoot would be real. I'm sorry. I really yeah. wish Daryl would be real. <laughs> yeah, you know, we live in the uh, Northwest where a lot yes. of Bigfoot sightings come from, and uh, it would be very cool to see a Bigfoot. It would be very cool. Would, you know, we're supposed yeah. to have a Mount St. Helens Bigfoot. Oh, really? Specific to Mount St. Helens, yes. I don't know Ooh. anything about it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a <okay>. I <laughs> I mean that that would be really cool. Oh, uh, I to, to, because it's it's something that's been in our culture f- since what 1950s. I mean, that's in right. mainstream yeah. cultures since the Patterson Gimlin film. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, it would really be neat to to actually see one. Um, I don't think we're we're gonna. I, I really don't think we're gonna. Um, mm-hmm. And then a very very close second would be aliens. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, honestly, I still wait for that that beam of light to come through my window and take me home. Yeah, I, I really do. It, I mean, statistically, looking mm-hmm. at it through a, a biological perspective, it is pretty much impossible that we would be the only life in the universe. However, space travel is very difficult. Right. Yeah, at least from our perception and our intelligence. Yeah, it takes and the resources on this the resources. Planet. Yes. Yeah, well, our and technology. just general. Yeah. From my perspective, well, first off, there are lots of things we probably haven't discovered in the deep ocean. But uh, I think out of all the cryptids and ghosts and stuff, I think if one of them was real, I think aliens would be the most likely. I It would be nice. 
It'd be it, cool. It would be it very would be, nice. Well, yeah. Hopefully. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Huge Star yes. Wars fan. So, yeah. uh, I mean, if you haven't noticed, I know it, he, you've probably seen some of the videos and I have Princess Leia right behind me. So, yes. <laughs> huge Star Wars fan. But I that concept, and when I when I sit and think about, when, when, when I try to think about how huge the universe is, Sure. And and those 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 distances that we're talking about in light years, mm-hmm. just the concept of that, it, it actually makes me sad because yeah. I don't think we're ever going to find or, or get in contact with another another civilization. I think they're out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really do, but they're too far away. Yeah. And factor in the the sort of expansion of the universe that yes. we're going through. The, yeah. the as the clock ticks on, mm-hmm. we get further and further away from every potential inhabited planet. One of the concepts that uh, that I I love to talk about, like when we're out camping somewhere and we're mm-hmm. talking with a bunch of friends, and there's a concept of when you look up at the stars, like you're looking up at like stars, actual stars, you know, and those yeah. have planets around them. They're not yeah. just all planets and moons and stuff. These are the stars that we're seeing that have their own solar systems that have yeah they're they're billions and billions oh my god it's mind boggling <laughs> and I love it and it makes me depressed <laughs> and then all the stars in our galaxy are within our own galaxy but then there are galaxies around oh, us that. yes and then there are clusters of galaxies and super <laughs> clusters of clusters <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy it's, the space is, yeah. is intimidating but awesome at the same time right it sucks <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is sucks. kind of cool that at nighttime right you're actually seeing space yeah right. isn't that neat well if you don't have light pollution and and you're probably seeing so many stars that aren't there anymore. Yeah. 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 You know, Back in that time. I love that. I love yeah. that idea. It still sucks, but <laughs> I, I love it. I love well, it. Well, it makes you feel really small. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, listener, if, if you have any thoughts about anything that we've talked about today, um, research into the paranormal, research in general, cryptids, aliens, whatever, then you can send that to us and we would love to read it uh, on the air. Um, Let's let's come up with like a specific question. Kenny, what specific question related to your topic would you like listeners to answer? What is your go-to choice for paranormal gadgetry and why? Okay. Okay, okay cool. So if you have an answer to that, you can send it to us and we will read it out loud on the show. And hey, Speaking of which, we have some answers to share from uh, last week's episode. Okay. Uh, our friend friend of the show, Tracy, was on to talk about her experience with cosplay. And we asked you Love what you had to say about that. A uh, friend of the show, George... At Ready Set Fire One Two Three on Twitter says, "When it comes to cosplaying, I love seeing people of color cosplayers, mainly because I don't see much of that on the internet. It always puts a smile on my face when I come across it, though, nice. which is really cool." Um, also said at Multi M U L T I I on Instagram says, "Cosplay is so fun. I love it because I can be whoever I want in fun outfits, and then people take my photo, and I look so cute. Also, making it is so fun." <laughs> uh, Another friend of the show, Briar, the host of um, 
uh, Capes and Japes podcast at Racetrack Conlon on the internet says cosplay helped me get way more comfortable with my gender identity and expression and also teach myself a fun skill and see myself improve. And I've made so many friends through the shred hobby. A fr- another friend of the show who wants to remain anonymous says the f- best thing about cosplay is anyone can do it. You can put any amount of effort into it what, that you want. Not everyone has money or skill or time to do an exact rec- replica, but as long as you have fun, that's what's important. And our dear friend, Laura Ray submitted Uh, I really enjoy using found objects and repurposing them into costumes. It saves on money and it's great for casual costuming if you don't necessarily want to make a costume from whole cloth. And uh, you can find her on Instagram at little.rad.demon.art. Mackenzie says, quote, It may not be my most impressive cosplay in terms of the amount of effort it took, but my absolute favorite has always been my Spider-Girl cosplay. I put a lot of time and love into this cosplay and it was the most intense sewing project I have ever tackled. But what I love most about it is that it holds up well when you wear it. It's easy to put on and take off, and it's instantly recognizable at cons. I'm so proud of this one, even as one of my very first cosplays. And then our friend Sabra says, quote, My favorite build was Cassandra Pentagast from Dragon Age Inquisition. It was my first real experience with armor pieces and the first time I made something without any pre-made patterns. Even though it's one of my favorite cosplays, I don't get to wear her often as I'm essentially walking around in a quilt and therefore overheat very easily. Cold weather cons only. How lovely. Hey, can I add a comment to that? Oh, yes, please. Please. Oh, that's awesome. I love cosplay. And I, yes. I absolutely love it. I, I I have to send you pictures. I built an ATST from Star Wars. That oh I my god! Inside. Amazing. So I, I will I will send you pictures of that. But okay, please. Why the reason I love cosplay is that it doesn't matter who you are. You can be anyone you want to be. Absolutely. Yes. Can, it doesn't matter what color, what gender, what size. Um, it doesn't matter your level of shyness or confidence. It doesn't matter your skill level. You can do whatever you want, be whoever you want and you're in character and the community accepts you. I love that. I I absolutely love it. Um, I've done everything from like this full scale. It took me nine months to make the ATSD costume. I I also made a cyborg from Teen Titans. Oh, nice. Lit up everything. I did that. It took me a long, almost a year to make that. Did that. But then on the other side, I had like two days to build a costume for a, a um, a convention that I was going to. I didn't know I was going to. So I did a <laughs> matchup between Darth Vader and Optimus Prime. Nice. Oh, sick. <laughs> it was literally made out of like that um, construction paper. <laughs> and oh, it, wow. I did it within a day. And it was just, it was the crappiest low budget costume you could ever make. <laughs> but I walked through that conference and people were excited to see what I did. And I love doing that too. I love seeing the creativity, what people do, what they think of, what kind of ideas they come up with. And it's just yeah. a beautiful, beautiful hobby that yeah. is amazing. Well, passion goes into it, yes. which is lovely. Mm. Well, thank That's you awesome. for sharing yes. that. Yes. And thanks for joining us today, Kenny. I hope you had a good time on the show. I did. You guys are great. Yeah. I love talking to you guys. Oh, we love talking well, to you shucks. as well. And if you ever want to be on again and talk about something else or something specific to what we talked about today, please return. We'd love to have you again. Absolutely. And to our listener, you can find us online. Well, we're in the process of revamping our online presence. 
Um, and if you uh, experience any difficulties with that, then, you know, just have some patience. We're still figuring this out. You should be able to find us on Twitter and Facebook. Yes, awesome. we are. Uh, you might love this. And we checked that we're the only one called that. So <laughs> if you find an account that says you might love this, that's us. Yeah, there's one called you might like this, but it is no longer. They're dead. <laughs> Not literally. <laughs> oh, no. I hope I haven't cursed anybody. <laughs> Maybe that's a good show too. I don't yeah, know. We haven't listened good. to it. Yeah. But yeah. And I guess that's about it for this week. Except, you know, of course, we always like to say a shout out to our friend Leandra who made the podcast art for this show. Thanks, Thanks for the, the hand. hand. We'll see you again next time. My name is Max. My name is Cassie. My name is Kenny. And you might love this. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content. Hey, Eli, do you want to help me make an improvised fantasy adventure podcast? Hey, Ty, that sounds fun. Do we want to bring in all of our friends to play with us? Nope, just you. Okay, will I be on the whole time? Actually, no, you'll be on for three to six episodes, and then we'll bring on another guest. Okay, is one of us going to be the main character? Nope, you're all just going to be side characters in a larger story. Okay, but this podcast is going to be hard to find, right? Nope, just look up Side Character Quest on whatever podcast app you like, or just go to SideCharacterQuest.com. Okay, but you promise not to kill my character, right? No promises. Uh, oh no. (laughs)